says, when they heard, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me more? Uh, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Please have a seat. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your grace, for your mercy that is new each day. Lord, as we come to this very familiar passage, I pray, God, that you would um, just work in our hearts. Holy Spirit, won't you guide us and lead us? Not only do we want to understand your truth, but we want to obey and respond to your message. So be with us. Um, help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last week, we kind of started uh, this journey where we saw kind of the biggest story of failure in all of Scripture. Um, it's the story of Peter denying Jesus three times. Jesus, before he was crucified, the night before, just hours before he was betrayed, he called his disciples. They were having this last meal together. And as they were eating dinner and they were finishing up dinner, as uh, they were kind of wrapping things up, Jesus kind of drops the bomb. He says, guys, listen, tomorrow some stuff uh, are going to happen. Well, I'm going to die. I'm going to be betrayed by one of you. People are going to come and arrest me. Um, and the rest of you, you're going to run away. And so Jesus, he kind of predicts the, these series of events that are going to take place soon uh, and do you guys remember Peter's response to, to Jesus' prediction? Peter says, oh, no, Jesus. No, I will follow you to death. I will lay down my life for you. That's what Peter says in John chapter 13. And to this, Jesus responds, well, Peter, before the rooster crows, you know, in front of people, you are going to deny me. Not just once, not just twice, but three times in front of people, you're going to say, I don't even know this guy. And sure enough, things unfold exactly as Jesus predicted. Now, if you go to John 18, verse 17, uh, we kind of pick up on this story. We see the moment where Jesus, he's arrested, and Peter, he's kind of watching from a distance. Then the beloved disciple, he says, hey, Peter, we can actually kind of go inside. So Peter comes a little bit close. And in verse 17, it says that a servant girl came up to Peter and asked, you also are not one of the, these men, uh, the disciples who followed Jesus, are you? And Peter responded, I am not. 
In verse 18, it says, Now the servants of the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. And the scripture tells us that Peter goes to deny Jesus two more times. But one thing I want you to notice is that in front of this warm charcoal fire, Peter, he coldly denies Jesus. Not once, not twice, but three times. No, the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Mark, they say that Peter even cursed um, himself. He swore on his name that he did not know Jesus. The Gospel of Luke says that Jesus actually turned his face the moment that the rooster crowed. And he made eye contact with Peter. And when that happened, Peter just broke down. Scripture says he wept bitterly. No, Peter was a mess. He realized what he has done. No, just imagine what's going on in Peter's head at that moment. No, Jesus, no, he said that this is going to be the most difficult part of my life, that I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die. He predicted that he's going to get mocked. He said that he's going to be accused, he's going to be beaten, tortured, eventually be crucified uh, on the cross. And all he asked for his disciples was, was some prayer. He said, hey, the spirit is willing, but the, the flesh is weak. Can you just pray for me? And in the hour that Jesus needed the disciples the most, when the, in the hour that Jesus could have used Peter's prayers and presence the most, what Peter does is he just simply denies Jesus. He says, I don't know you in front of, of a little servant slave, a servant girl. And so Peter, he failed miserably. He has sinned greatly against Jesus. And at this point, Peter is probably thinking that his journey with Jesus is, is over that he blew it, that he messed up so badly. I mean, if you just think about it, you know, he, 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 he's probably thinking he's the worst human being on earth. After all that Jesus predicted, after all that he has said, after all that Jesus has done for him, after all the miracles and the teachings that he have witnessed and received, what, in light of all that, Peter simply just denies Jesus, and he's probably thinking, my relationship with Jesus is done. It's over. That's how it ends. Because Peter's failure was so great, because his sin was so great against Jesus, even after the resurrection, we see that Peter, he was actually living in this incredible sense of guilt, this incredible sense of shame. No, he, he just can't get over what he has done to, to his Lord and Savior. And that's where we find ourselves in John 21. And this takes place after Jesus has appeared to Mary Magdalene, after Jesus has appeared to the disciples, and then to doubting Thomas. Now, after he had revealed himself, it says in verse 1, again to the disciples by the Sea of, of Tiberias, which is another name for the Sea of Galilee, it says Jesus revealed himself in such a way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin Nathaniel and Elkanah in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together and Look at verse 3. Simon Peter said to them, I am going to fish. I'm going fishing. That's Peter's response to the resurrection. He witnessed the greatest miracle in history. Jesus just conquered death. He defeated Satan. No, he came back to life just like he promised. And what Peter says is, I am going fishing. It's not like Peter didn't meet Jesus yet. 
Scripture says that he encountered Jesus, maybe not on a personal level yet, but he saw with his very own eyes that Jesus is alive. Yet, for some reason, inside he is so empty. He is so broken. Inside he's such a mess that he goes back to his old life, his pre-Jesus life. And he's just on this sea fishing. And the Bible says he's out there with the other disciples and he fished all night. But they caught nothing. You know, I wonder what Peter was thinking at that time. You know, I've been fishing before, and, you know, when you don't catch fish, and when time goes by, all sorts of thoughts come into your head, right? You just reflect on your life, you reflect on what's going on, and there's this this moment of silence where you can just think to yourself and process things. And for Peter, this lake was special. This sea was special. He was probably looking at the shore and he was thinking, man, that is the place where Jesus first called me. And that is the place where I actually broke the bread. I, I, I broke the fish. You know, I saw 5,000 people plus being fed in a miracle, miraculous way. You know, that was the place where Jesus, he changed my name. And all sorts of things are going through Peter's mind. And so it's probably really hard for him to concentrate. No wonder why he didn't catch anything at that point, right? So Peter, he's still living in the past. He's living in his failures. He feels broken inside despite the good news that comes with the resurrection of Jesus. But look at verse 4. Look at what happens. This just blows our mind. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. I don't know if you see this, but this is an incredible picture of grace. Why? Because Peter, he thought that he was done with Jesus. He thought he failed Jesus. He thought there's no way that his broken relationship could be repaired. There's nothing that he can do to make up for all that he has done. Yet, in the Bible, in Scripture, we see that Jesus comes to Peter. And this is exactly what Pastor Daniel was saying last week. That even though we fail Jesus, Jesus, he comes after us. Even though we let go of Jesus, Jesus, he comes after us. He pursues us. No, looking outside from the shore, he's looking, Jesus is looking to the sea. He sees the broken, the crushed spirit of Peter. And he's probably saying to himself, Peter, you let go of me. You have given up on me but I have not given up on you. That's why he showed up on that sea in the midst of, of all this kind of darkness and, and depression that's going on in Peter's heart. Jesus, he shows up. And the first thing I want you to know from today's text is quite simple. Jesus, he is willing to forgive our failures. Jesus, he is willing to forgive our failures. Peter, his sin was very great. It was, it, it was so bad that he was convinced that his relationship was broken beyond repair. Yet Jesus shows up and just changes the narrative. And what happens after that is, is, is even more remarkable because the, the disciples, they don't recognize who Jesus is. They see this guy on the shore and this guy just yells at them, yo, do you guys have some fish? 
and the disciples say, no, we didn't catch any fish. And so Jesus says, well, you let, let go of the, your net on the right side. And sure enough, the moment that they let go of the net, the net is so filled with fish that they can't even bring it up. And at that moment, the beloved disciple, John, he says to Peter, hey, that is the Lord. And instinctively, Peter, he jumps into the water. I have no idea what Peter was thinking. You know, he probably had mixed emotions. You know, he wanted to see Jesus, yet, you know, he knew that it was going to be awkward for him to see Jesus after all that he has done, yet he knows that he does love Jesus, and so he wants to go to Jesus. So he's swimming to the shore, and the other disciples, they're following Peter. And as he's going to Jesus, I wonder what he was thinking. He's probably thinking, man, Jesus, he's going he's gonna to scold me. Or maybe he's going to rebuke me. He knows my past. He knows exactly what happened. I mean, we made eye contact after that, right? And so all this is taking place. But notice what Jesus says the moment that the disciples show up on the shore. He says, hey, bring some fish that you caught. Let's have breakfast. Verse 12, come and have breakfast. The words that come out of Jesus' mouth is not words of condemnation. These are words of invitation. Despite their failures, despite their sin, despite their brokenness, Jesus invites these disciples, especially Peter, into his presence. Jesus, he is willing to forgive those who failed him. No, isn't, isn't Jesus wonderful? Isn't his grace so deep? But it doesn't end there because not only does Jesus want to forgive our failures, but he wants to restore us from our failures. Jesus, he is willing to restore us from our failures. You know, after having this meal, the passage, it all of a sudden it zooms in to Peter and Jesus. And look at verse 15. It says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, which is exactly how Jesus called Peter from the very beginning, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says to Peter, feed my sheep. One more time, Jesus asked the question to, to Peter, hey, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus responds, tend my sheep. A third time, Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me? Peter, it says this time in verse 17, he was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, when I first read this passage, I remember growing up and hearing these stories as a child. I just thought this was such a weird passage, such a weird conversation. Not only is it an awkward moment because it's the first time, right, Peter's encountering Jesus in a personal way after what he has done, but the conversation doesn't seem to flow that well, right? I mean, do you love me? And then and Peter could easily, easily have said, yeah, I love you, Jesus. I mean, that's how I would expect the conversation to flow. But instead, Peter says, Jesus, you, you know that I love you. And then Jesus says, oh, well, he doesn't say, well, I'm pleased with that answer. Or he doesn't say, no, you don't love me. What he says is, feed my sheep. Just a strange, awkward conversation in a very uncomfortable situation. So what's going on? I think... Um, many people try to interpret this passage in different ways. 
For example, some people are going to say, reading this passage, well, all you need is love. What Jesus is asking is, um, well, it doesn't matter what you have done. All you need is love. That's what matters for me. Simon Peter, do you love me? And when Peter says, yes, Jesus, you know that I love you, Jesus is happy with that. He moves on from Peter's past. Well, some people, especially the Roman Catholic Church, they interpret this passage saying that, hey, this correlates with Matthew 16, when Peter gave that famous confession, and he said, Jesus, you are the Christ, son of the living God, and Jesus responds, hey, Peter, that is a great answer. Upon this rock, I will build my church. And uh, the Roman Catholic Church, they take that verse and they say, see, Peter is the cornerstone of our faith. He, 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 he is, is the first piece. And from there, they kind of create this tradition of popes. And they say, look at this. At the end of the Gospel of John, once again, Jesus, he's focusing on Peter, the guy. And he's kind of empowering Peter, restoring Peter, saying that, hey, you feed my sheep. He's giving this Peter this special privilege to rule over the church. Some people, and especially if you've been to church long enough, you had heard a sermon like this. Well, if you truly want to understand this passage, you need to know some Greek. Because if you read this in the Greek, you're going to know that there are two different verbs that show up that are both translated as love. Agapeo, which normally we understand as unconditional love, kind of a high form of love. And then phileo. Now, not phileo fish, but uh, this is where we actually get the word Philadelphia, right? Brotherly love. Uh, Phileo, it means to love in a relational way in response to something. Uh, some people think that this is kind of a, a lower level. It's still good, but it's a little bit lower than um, the agapeo love. And so what, um, what, what's happening here is the first two times Jesus asks Peter, Peter, do you love me, agapeo? And Peter answers, Jesus, you know that I love you, but phileo. And so, because Jesus is not getting the response that he wants, the third time, if you read it in the Greek, Jesus actually says, well, Peter, do you love me? Phileo. And then uh, Peter responds, yes, Jesus, you know that I love you. Phileo. And people kind of make this uh, into like uh, a, a message on its own, saying that, yes, this, this form of, of agape love, it only belongs to God. And us as human beings, we can never love like Jesus does. All we can do is love in response to Jesus' love, which is true, right? Uh, the only love that we can display is this relational love, kind of a lower-level love. Now, there's so many different ways that people try to interpret this passage because it's not an easy passage. You know, it's, it's a heartwarming passage. It's, it's a very intimate passage, but it's not an easy passage to understand. You know, in light of what I just said, this is what... Um, D.A. Carson says he's kind of the leading scholar in the world for John's writings, and he writes a book called Exegetical Fallacies, and he gives this example in the very beginning of his book, and he says, um, sometimes we might misuse the Greek, and he says, uh, although agapeo and phileo are different words, they're so similar that sometimes they're used interchangeably, especially in the writings of John. Let me give you, give you an example. In John 3, 35, it says the father loves the son, agapeo. 
in John 5.20, it says, For the Father loves the Son. Phileo. Same way, Father loves the Son, yet different verbs are used. When John calls himself the beloved disciple, or more literally, the disciple who is loved by Jesus, sometimes he uses the word phileo, sometimes he uses the word agapeo. You know, when Jesus says, I loved Lazarus, sometimes he uses the word phileo, sometimes he uses the word agapeo. And so his conclusion is that although there's clear differences, and it's, these two words are used in different ways, especially in John's writing based on the context, it seems like he's just using, using these things interchangeably. And you know why this is important, especially for your writing. Now, I remember when I first wrote my first essay in seminary, the first criticism that I received was, don't use the same word over and over again, right? That, that's not good writing. So stylistically, what you want to do is you want to kind of mix up your vocabulary. And, and so I learned that the hard way. Um, but I think that's what John is doing here. Stylistically, he's, he's trying to mix things up. And why do I say that? Because he kind of mixes up the words lamb and sheep. He mixes up the word feed and tend. But somehow people just seem to zoom in on the different meaning of love. And so what is going on if that's not the case? I think if you want to understand this passage, you need to know Peter's history. In verse 9, when Jesus is, is preparing this breakfast, it says that the disciples, when they came to the shore, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And this small detail, although it seems like it's just there, it's telling us something really important because that word, charcoal fire, is only used in one other place in the entire Bible. It's used when, Jesus, uh, when Peter denied Jesus three times. The only place. So obviously, Jesus is kind of making this connection. As he's talking to Peter, he's kind of bringing back that dark memory of Peter, the place that, Je that Peter failed Jesus. And he's kind of making this connection. Why is this obvious? Because Jesus, he's asking the same question three times, just like that servant, uh, was, this, that, that servant was asking Peter the question same times. And in a way where Peter publicly denied Jesus three times, here, Peter is acknowledging his love for Jesus three times. We see that Jesus, he's not bringing up this dark past, the failures of Peter just to condemn Peter, just to hurt Peter. We see that he's doing this to restore Peter. Sometimes God, he brings up our failures, our past, the past that we just want to forget about, not to hurt you, not to destroy you, but to refine you, to make you more like Christ, to restore you so you can be free from that past. Look at verse 15 one more time. It says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? That word, more than these, it tells you that Jesus is not just asking a rhetorical question or trying to get a simple yes-no answer, but he's asking a question of comparison. So what are these? That's the question, right? In the Greek, this could be masculine. It could be neuter. Uh, it is in the plural form, so we know that it just can't be one object. It could be the fish that Peter just caught. And Jesus could be saying, hey, look at all those fish. Do you love me more than those fish? 
But the problem is Peter never, it, the Bible never says that Peter was in love with fish. So that wouldn't be a, a real question for Peter, right? Maybe it could be the fishing equipment that, that Peter had. And the Bible does mention the net, the boat, and that, those were the way that Peter made money, that he survived. And maybe um, Jesus is asking, hey, more than your survival, more than your income, more than your financial situation, Peter, are you willing to love me? Maybe he could be asking that. But again, we know that Peter wasn't that attached to uh, his possessions. That was Judas, not Peter. Maybe this word could be the disciples. Peter, do you love me more than your brothers? These friends that you have, are you more close to me? Do you love me? And while all these are really good guesses, I think based on what happened with Peter, here's what Jesus is asking Peter. Peter, do you love me more than other disciples love me? Peter, do you love me more than other disciples love me? And why is Jesus asking this question? Because if you go back to the night where Jesus said, hey, all of you are going to leave me? Peter stands up and he says, even though everyone leaves you, Jesus, I ain't going to leave you. Peter is always the one who's so vocal. He feels like he's the, he's the guy, right? He's the one who made that famous confession. He's the one who chopped off the, the, the ear of the guard. I mean, he's the one who's most active. Like, he is the alpha personality, and he has pride in it. And it shows in that last night. He says, hey, even though these guys, they're going to run away, I'm going to lay down my life for you, Jesus. You just see. You just wait and see. He was so assured of his faith. He was so assured of it in his ability and, his, and, and how he conducted himself. He had pride. And the thing is, even though you're so confident in yourself, your ability, your confidence is not good enough when it comes to following Jesus. What you need when you follow Jesus is not confidence, it's not courage, it's not having all the answers to you, but it's humility. It's humility saying that Jesus, I need you. I, I really don't have it in, in me to say that, that I'm gonna be with you. I don't even know I'm gonna make it to the end. I might deny you. I, I might run away from you. Jesus, can you help me? Do you see the difference between pride and humility? You know, one preacher said it like this. The biggest enemy to the gospel is not sin. It's self-sufficiency. People who are sinful see the need for a savior. People who are self-sufficient and think they have everything together and think their life is just okay. They never seek for a savior. Through his failure and through the restoring grace of Jesus Christ, what Peter experiences that is, it's no longer self-sufficiency that he needs. It's God dependency. That, that's what he needs. He needs to be dependent on God. And by asking the same question three times, Jesus, he's kind of publicly announcing this dependency. He's saying that, Peter, from now on, you know, your love is not just dependent on your pride. You know, your love is dependent on me. That's why Peter is answering in such a humble way. Yes, Jesus, you know, I'm not saying this in a, in a, in a prideful way. You know my heart. You know all things. And so you examine my heart and tell me if I love you. 
And I know that this was a lesson that Peter learned because in 1 Peter 5, 5, Peter says this, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, clothe yourself, all of you with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Jesus, he takes Peter down this dark track. And you might think that's pretty brutal. However, when Jesus takes, takes you down this pathway of failures, when he kind of brings up things in the past, he's not trying to hurt you. He's actually trying to restore you. He wants to humble you, not to prove a point, but so that you recognize that there's nothing more in your life that you need other than Jesus. He is it. In verse 18 and 19, in closing this segment, John, he kind of writes about the last words of Jesus. He talks about how Peter, he's going to die at the very end. And you might think, man, this is, this is kind of horrible, right? After saying, feed my sheep, it would be nice if Jesus could have said, and if you feed my sheep, you're going to have this great reward in heaven. If you feed my sheep, I'm going to recognize that. I'm going to say good and faithful servant. But what Jesus says is this in verse 19. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And says right before that, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And we know from church history that Peter, when he died, that he was crucified upside down. And you might think, man, that's a terrible ending. And why in the world would Peter embrace that ending? But in the middle of this, what you see is that even when Peter was facing death, the days that he lived from this point on, he never denied Jesus to the point of death. This is an amazing promise. Even death will not hinder you from saying that you love me because you're no longer living on pride. You're living independent, uh, in, in being dependent on me. I don't know what you're hoping in your journey with Christ. Maybe some of you, you have this past, you have this brokenness, you feel like you failed Jesus, you feel like you did some things so wrong, so horrible, unforgivable, that, Jesus, that even Jesus can't forgive you. Some of you feel so guilty and shameful. Maybe for some of you, you're doing quite well, just like Peter, right? You're, you're on a roll with your relationship with God and once COVID-19 hit, it's like everything fell apart. Your financial situation is not the same. Job situation, not secure. You have so much time and your mind is just wandering off all these different places. And because you're thinking so much, things in the past are just creeping up again. And you feel like you're so distant from God right now. You feel like you're so far away from God that there's no way you can go back to where you were. There's no way you can have this awesome relationship with Jesus once again. And maybe now it's time for me to just walk away. And when you have let go of Jesus, when you have thought that you have failed Jesus, the text is telling you that Jesus, he is still waiting at the shore. He's still waiting for you, not to just save you, not to just forgive you, but to change you and restore you. And that's the second point thing that we have to remember if you have been saved by God's grace and you understand that the life that you have is not your own but it belongs to Jesus 
then the simple way that you can imitate Jesus is by following this simple command, feed my sheep. Jesus, Jesus doesn't say feed your own sheep. He says, feed my sheep. If you really love me, don't just say that you love me. Don't just tweet about it. Don't just text about it. Don't just say it in your inner circle or in your diary. Express it. Let the world know that you love me by taking care of the people that I love most. You know, this is an incredible command that Jesus, that Jesus is giving us. Why? Because Jesus, he laid down his life for his sheep. Jesus, he spilled his blood. That he endured all the pain and the suffering simply to, to, to retain and to reacquire, to save his sheep. And what Jesus is saying is, I'm giving you what I love the most, my people, my sheep. And so in, out of your love for me, out of understanding what I have done for you, would you love me? Would you invest not in your own self, but in the kingdom of God? Would you invest in the church, which is the bride of Christ? Would you invest in this kingdom vision and love people who are lost? Jesus, he's not just willing to save you. He wants to change you. And I think a lot of us are just so comfortable with the fact that Jesus wants to save us that we miss out on the amazing grace that Jesus provides for us to be transformed and changed and to be made new for his kingdom purposes. So where are you in this story? Do you see Jesus in such a way? Because he is inviting you today to come, repent, experience the forgiveness that he gives and move forward and remain faithful for the rest of your life. Let's pray. No people in this world, when you fail them, they cut ties, they turn against you, but not Jesus. Even when you fall away, even when you fail, Jesus is still trying to make a way to come back to you and he's still standing at that shore. He's inviting you into his presence. But that is not the end of the story. He's not just chasing after you simply to forgive you. He's chasing after you to change you. And the question is, are you embracing this transforming grace as much as you are embracing the grace of salvation? Do you, are you actively seeking to shepherd in your life? Are you investing in other people, sharing the good news of Jesus and equipping people? Or are you like Peter on the shore, living in the past, living in your brokenness, living in your failures, just doing what you normally do? Even if you see the resurrection, there's nothing that moves in your heart. Yet you feel so empty inside. Just like Jesus invited Peter at the very end, follow me. Jesus is inviting us to follow him with all that we have because he gave his life for us. So let's pray, let's respond to this message.